0: If you have a copy of God's Word, please turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 14. And if you don't have your Bible, you can certainly follow along on the screen. We're with uh, Paul and Barnabas as they're on this first missionary journey. This began a couple of chapters back in the book of Acts as there were uh, believers who were praying and fasting before the Lord in the city of Antioch. And the Holy Spirit spoke to them and said, Set apart Paul and Barnabas for this work that I have called them to. We talked about how that, that couldn't have been an, an easy call because here they were to say yes to the Lord meant they were losing something. It meant they were, they were giving up some great workers. As I was at uh, our uh, spring presbytery meeting uh, on, on Friday... Uh, one of the pastors who actually had uh, two folks who were going into the ministry and, and uh, you know he, was so, he talked, he gave a testimony about uh, how excited he was. They'd gone through all of the, their seminary studies and gone through all the steps and examination and everything to become uh, ministers of the gospel. And he was so excited for them, he said, but I'm losing two really good people. Out of my church, and I'm sure the folks in Antioch they were excited for what the Lord was doing, but they probably also had that same sense of 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 loss. Like, wow, we love Paul and Barnabas, but you know what? The the greatest thing, the most important thing, is the work of God and the kingdom of God. And so, with their blessing, these two men headed off, and and they uh, uh, took a young man named John Mark with them uh, as an apprentice along the way, and and they sailed from from Antioch, and, and they basically we're making this big circle around uh, that part, that end of the Mediterranean Sea. And so we've, we've been seeing their journeys and where they're going. And, and today in this passage, uh, they're coming back to the east and they, they're in what would be modern day Turkey. And uh, we're going to see the cities of Iconium and uh, Lystra and Derby as they continue this little trek. So if you would please stand with me in honor and reverence for the reading of God's word. And follow along as we read uh, Acts chapter 14, uh, verses 1 through 20. The same thing happened in Iconium. And he's basically talking about mixed results to to the gospel. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles Against Paul and Barnabas. But the apostles stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. But the people of the town were divided in their opinion about them. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Then a mob of Gentiles and Jews, along with their leaders, decided to attack and stone them. When the apostles learned of it, they fled to the region of Lyconia, to the towns of Lystra and Derbe in the surrounding area. And there they preached the good news. While they were at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. He had been that way from birth, so he never walked. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached. Looking straight at him, Paul realized he had the faith to be healed. So Paul called to him in a loud voice, Stand up! And the man jumped to his feet and started walking. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, These men are gods in human form. And they decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus, and Paul was Hermes, since he was the chief speaker. Now the temple of Zeus was located outside the town. So the priest of the temple and the crowd brought bulls and wreaths and flowers to the town gates, and they prepared to offer sacrifices to the apostles. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard what was happening, they tore their clothes in dismay and ran out among the people shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. In the past, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. But even with these words, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of town, thinking he was dead. But as the believers gathered around him, he got up and went back into town. The next day, he left with Barnabas for Derbe. With me in prayer. Father God, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for the power contained within it, the power to bring souls to yourselves, and, Father, the power to transform our lives. We understand that, Father, we, as we believe we have passed from death into life, we're a new creation. Lord, that there are instantaneous changes, that we are no longer apart from you. Father, we're part of your family, but Lord, we understand also that there is still much change to be made, that you are transforming us, you are making us more like Jesus. We still all have work to be done, and Father, we pray that you would open our hearts and you would show us uh, that work to be done, and God, we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. May we be seated. As we see the work of the apostles in the book of Acts, we often forget who they were. Uh, we place them in some other category. Uh, first of all, they, they were ancient Christians, so, so we automatically kind of make them different, like they're not like us. And, and then the, with that title apostle attached, uh, We think that maybe they didn't face some of the same things we did, or if they did, they had some special ability to deal with them that that we don't have. But the Word of God never tells us that. The Word of God tells us that we have that same Holy Spirit who was alive, uh, who was working on the day of Pentecost. He still works in us today. He still empowers us and strengthens us. And you and I, as believers, we still go through trials and difficulties. That hasn't changed. And today I want us to talk about two things, whether this may be the the high times or low times of life. I want us to talk about going, being time to go, and letting go. And the first one is the first thing I want us to think about for a minute is when it's time for us to go. We tend to look at the apostles and all they went through and their courage and their boldness. And, and, and with the, the exception of those times when they failed, we know that they weren't perfect and they fall down and fail. But, but we tend to think that, you know, they never left. They always stayed no matter what happened. But that's not really a correct perception. The reality is while they endured a lot, and they went through a lot, and sometimes they were not able uh, to get away from certain persecution, Uh, sometimes really bad things happened to them, and some apostles even died. They were martyred. The reality is that when it came to that point of, of physical abuse, physical danger to their lives, that most of the time, when they could, they ran. They got away. Uh, They left. They got out of that dangerous, harmful situation. Uh, We know that many times Jesus himself did this as crowds threatened. Did he ultimately lay down his life for us? Yes, he did because that was the Father's plan. He willingly laid down his life for us. But there were other times in his ministry earlier when he would disappear out of the midst of the crowds who sought to harm him or stone him. Uh, we see the same thing with the apostles. That uh, they would, early on, we, t- we hear about Peter being lowered down out of a basket uh, to get out of a city. Uh, we, we hear of apostles in many places getting out of town as quick as they could, uh, fleeing. And certainly at the end of this passage, while Paul ends up getting stoned. He didn't want that. He didn't like that. He didn't say, here I am, I'm a Christian. I'm saying God's word, so go ahead and stone me. Uh, He escaped when he could. And in the first city, in Iconium, the Bible says, hey, they were facing some opposition, but they kept preaching, they kept teaching. But when they found out that there was a plot uh, against them to stone them, they left the city. They, they got out of town. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, all that makes sense, but come on, Pastor Tim, duh, right? I mean, someone's trying to kill you. Someone's trying to stone you. Someone's trying to physically harm you. You get out of the way. You, you go. You don't stand there and just say, yes, beat me up. Well, that is common sense, and it should be common sense. And in most of the world, it is common sense. And in most circumstances and situations, it's common sense. And yet, for some reason, for those who are in abusive home situations, for those who are battered and beaten, many times Christian people say, well, just pray. Uh, just, just hang in there. Uh, just stick it out, and the Lord will, will carry you out of that, and, and, and you're going to be all right. Just be faithful. Turn the other cheek. It's okay, because you made a, a marriage promise. We don't talk about that other person who made that same promise to love and honor and cherish and yet they're beating the mess out of their spouse or their children. Instead of being bold and uh, confronting the abuser, too often in the Christian world, we just say, you hang in there, you be a good Christian, you keep those vows, Uh, you you stay together no matter what. Folks, I'm going to tell you, yes, God has called us, To be faithful to the vows we made. But God has also called us to live in peace. God has, when Paul is talking about a a situation in the book of Corinthians. When there is an unbelieving spouse who wants to go. A lot of us would say, no you hang in there, you hold on to them. Uh, you, You trap them, you keep them. Paul said, if they want to go, let them go. For you have been called to live at peace. Now, I'm just like many of you, and that I am disgusted by certain people uh, who take their vows very lightly. And and they seem to say, well, uh, until happiness leaves me, until I fall out of love, uh, until I don't feel it anymore. And, And certainly they abuse the sacredness of marriage. Uh, Certainly, they do not behave and honor God's commands, and we should never have that. Uh, We should always go into marriage holding it in high regard because it was created by the Lord. But you and I, as Christians, we're called to be people of mercy and compassion, and we're called to be people of justice. And I'm going to tell you that to tell an abused person to sit there and keep taking it and be a good Christian when the greatest apostles known knew when to get out of town. They knew when to leave. They knew when to take themselves out of harm's way. Am I saying uh, divorce immediately? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying remove yourself from a situation And don't feel bad about it. There will be people who will make you feel bad about it. Uh, There will be people who make you feel awful, like you're a no-good Christian and you're not committed enough and you don't love enough and all that sort of stuff. And again, I'm going back to saying, don't be one of these people who simply says, well, I'm not happy anymore. Things haven't been great. Guess what? We're not always, always going to be happy. We're not talking about that. We're talking about situations where people who love God are literally being torn apart because they're being abused and yet someone has told them, you just stay in this. If you love Jesus, uh, you're going to hang in there. Jesus talked about turning the other cheek. He was talking about when you're insulted, don't insult someone else back. He was never talking about you sit there and allow yourself to be destroyed by this abuse. I'm coming strong here, but I'm coming from having seen this in over 20 years of ministry in local church in the state of Mississippi. I would love to tell you that I'm talking about people outside of the church. I would love to tell you that I'm talking about, oh, these are the lost people that don't know Jesus and they've never entered the church door. That would be great if we could say, go tell them about Jesus and then their problems will all be fixed. But the reality is, I have over time set out and looked in a congregation and known what was happening times it's frustrating when you say, hey, we support you, we're with you. And a person has been so battered and beaten and bruised and, and, and their mentality has been so destroyed that they're afraid. Remember a situation in a former pastorate. This woman wore long sleeves in July. Everybody knew what was going on. And she would deal with it, and she would come, and, and uh, she had lots of accidents, right? And she lived with that for many years until a situation where one of her children got old enough. You see, the abuser had never touched the children. And so she said, I'm going to be a good Christian. I'm going to stay in this, and I'm going to let him smack me around and harm me. But he, he hadn't touched my children, so it's okay. And one day... One of the children and the dad finally got into an altercation and one of them almost got badly, badly hurt. And she finally was able to say, I'm done. I'm out. And I'm glad she did because someone would have died. That situation had escalated. It had gone on. It's a tough thing because sometimes we don't understand the people. I'm not in that situation. I don't understand. I I say, why didn't you leave years ago? That's what I want to say. But I don't know what they've lived with, how they've been destroyed, how they've been put down, how they've been manipulated, not only physically but mentally. But I know this. God has called upon us to do justice and to love mercy. And if he's called upon us to do those things, just as we uphold the value of marriage and commitment and love, absolutely. We also uphold the dignity of every human being, every person, every man, woman, boy, and girl. That they should not have to live fearing day by day of being beat up, of being harmed, even for their lives. I saw on the news recently, uh, and, and, and who knows if I get all the particulars of this correct, but the general idea was that uh, in Russia they decriminalized certain forms of, of uh, domestic abuse. Uh, they, you know, basically kind of, if you don't kill them, if it's just a, a, a lesser thing, we're staying out of it. And the interesting thing was that within weeks... Uh, that rate of abuse had increased dramatically. The idea is that those who are abusers are going to get away with what they can. Now, can God change a heart? Can he change a violent man or a violent woman? Can he take that out of their lives and change them? Absolutely. God can. You want proof? Look at Paul himself. See, these folks who are coming to stone him, they were simply doing what Paul once did. We often, because we hold Paul in such high regard, when he says, God, here's a truthful statement, God came to save sinners of whom I was the chief. I was the biggest sinner. And we say, oh, Paul, you're just being so modest. No, Paul really believed that. He so said, I sought to destroy the church of God. I imprisoned. Uh, I abused the church. I dragged, drug them off, men and women both. I put them in chains. I voted yes for them to be put to death. I was a violent, abusive man. And God changed me. But let me tell you the change that came in his life was not turning over a new leaf. It was not trying a little better, a little harder. It was not cleaning up for just a little while. It was a radical change of God. And you know what? Paul had to build up some trust. You know that all all the Christians didn't jump in and say, Oh, yay, you're saved now, Paul. We're going to all be best buddies and friends. The Bible tells us that the early Christians, they were still afraid of him. (laughs) They were still like, hmm. We don't know, Paul. We, we need to see here. And God put it on Barnabas' heart to go and to, and, and to befriend him. And after several years, Paul gained some trust. And people saw, this, this man is for real. There's been a true change in his life. But he didn't just show up and say, hey, I'm here. I walk down an aisle. Everything's all better now, right? No, the change of God in his life showed forth. I want you to know. If you're in a situation, whether you're here today or you're listening on the internet or on our church app, you're listening to this and you're in a situation and you're being beat up and you're torn. I I can't take this anymore, but I love Jesus and I want to do what's right. I want to tell you, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Jesus of the Bible is a Jesus who calls out to people to heal them. He does not command them to stay in abusive situations. Can there be healing? Perhaps. Depends on that person and what God does in their life. But don't stay. Don't let yourself be beaten possibly to death. Waiting on that chance that they might possibly change one day. So there's time to go. And then in this passage, I want to say there's time to let go. As Paul left that first city, as he got out of Dodge, so to speak... Because he knew he was about to be stoned. He traveled from Iconium uh, to another city, to the city of Derby and Lystra, the two cities of Derby and Lystra. And as he got to those cities, he started preaching again, he started teaching again. And in Lystra, as he was preaching, the Bible says that he saw a man, and this man was crippled in his feet from birth. he had never walked. And the Bible says that he had faith to be healed. Now, by the way, the Bible never says that don't get healed of something, that that means you don't have faith. It doesn't say that. It, it's, it, it's not an opposite supply type of thing. But God is saying that when there is healing, there's faith involved. And it's interesting in the Bible, sometimes it's that person being healed. It's their faith. Uh, sometimes uh, it's the, just simply the faith of the one uh, who is speaking. Other times it's the faith of a friend. You remember those four friends who brought their friend to Jesus and they cut a hole and they lowered him down? The Bible says Jesus saw their faith. Uh, The Bible also talks about uh, a man who had a servant and his servant needed to be healed. And it was the faith of that man whose servant needed to be healed. God saw and chose. So there's also always some faith involved whose faith it may be, could, could change from situation to situation. But he sees this man, and, he, uh, and so he stares at him, and he calls out to him with a loud voice. Get up. Stand up. You're healed. Now normally we would think, wow, when this happens, there's revival about to break out, Right? I mean, everybody's about to start confessing Jesus, and this is going to be wonderful. (laughs) Uh, Instead, there's a uh, a pagan revival that breaks out. All of a sudden, people are like, praise Zeus, praise Hermes. And here's the thing. At first, Paul and Barnabas don't even know what's going on. See, they've been speaking in the universal language of the day, which was Greek. But the Bible says when these men start saying this, They were speaking in their local dialect. And and so at first, Paul and Barnabas didn't even know exactly what was going on, what they were shouting about, what they were saying. Historians tell us this is really neat. They have discovered that in that area of the ancient world, uh, there was this uh, old legend about two of the gods the ancient gods, and and uh, first they were kind of the local gods, but then when Greek Empire conquered the world, and everything uh, kind of got changed over. The stories got changed. Uh, the story changed to to Zeus and Hermes, and the story was that Zeus and Hermes went around and visited, and uh, they knocked on doors, said, "Hey, can you let us in for the night?" and and uh, people said, "No, sorry." <laughs> We don't take in bums like you. And uh, they would go to the next house, and they get the same treatment. <clears throat> and finally, they came to an old couple. And the old couple let them in, and uh, they, they enjoyed a good time together. And the story was that Zeus and Hermes, well, they really did some great things for this old couple, but they caused all the rest of these people to die in a flood. So this was the local legend, more than just a legend. These people who were caught in superstitious pagan beliefs, uh, they believed, hey, we better be ready if Zeus and Hermes ever come back because we don't want to get destroyed like those other people do, according to that old legend. And so when they saw Paul and Barnabas (laughs) and they see this miracle, they'd all lived with this guy in the city. They knew that that he was lame from birth. And they said, this must be him, them. The gods have come back. We don't want to be like those other people. And so they grab a, go get a bull, the temple of Zeus, and they're ready to make this big sacrifice. And Paul and Barnabas, when they realize what's going on, the Bible says that they go out and they tear their clothes. Now, this isn't like people, you know, nowadays, let's show a little skin. That's not what it was about. Paul and Barnabas... It was a sign in the ancient world that that they were in extreme grief because they said this is the last thing you should get out of this miracle. You need to understand we're normal human beings just like you. God is telling you to turn away from all this worthless idol worship to the true God, and he's the one who has blessed you. And by the way, does God bless unbelievers? Well, certainly he does. Because none of them would be alive. And none of them would have another day of life uh, and breath without his blessing. God has a certain amount of blessings that's for all people the the sun and the rain and the harvest times. uh, And he's saying, that is given to you by the one God, the real God, not all these pagan gods. Well, what did they do? They let go. They let go. I wonder what you would do if someone came up to you and said, "Oh, oh, you worthy one, I want to worship you." Well, you tell, oh, I quit joking around, quit messing around, right? But but if they were for real, if they started treating you as a god, if they gave you whatever power that you wanted to have, how might you respond? You see, the fleshly temptation, the inclination of the human heart apart from God's spirit is to say, power, sure, I'll take it, give me some more. I like that. We know about power, right? About power corrupting and absolute power corrupting absolutely, that old saying. We know that power is a dangerous thing. Uh, we know that there is a temptation for us to take whatever power is given to us, whatever acclaim, whatever glory is given to us, and say, yes, I'm worthy. Go ahead. The human heart craves and desires power and control. I don't, I don't care whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, uh, whether you're uh, what, what kind of person you are. We may say we don't like power, but, well, I don't, li- I don't like to control. I, I just like things the way I like them, right? You, have, you ever heard someone say that? I've heard many people say that. No, I, I, don't, I don't boss people around. I don't control them. I mean, I just like what I like. And to get what they like, they control and boss and manipulate others. Paul and Barnabas demonstrate something really important here. When, when Jesus' disciples, when they were all jockeying for position, uh, literally, these men that we hold up and we say, there's the apostles, they, they had issues, especially before Christ's death and resurrection. They were jockeying for position. We love you, Jesus, and we want to be number one in your kingdom. You know, Jesus said, number one in my kingdom is the biggest servant of all. It's one who lays down uh, their, their rights, who lays down all this stuff to them. They, they take what is given to them and they use it to serve others rather than to serve themselves. A couple of chapters back, we studied Herod. We remember, remember that story? He was there speaking. There were people trying to puff him up. And they called out from the crowd and said, The voice of a God and not a man. And he was there just to smile, oh yeah, no, 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 come on, come on, come on, right? Bring it on. And the Bible says he was struck down because he did not give glory to God. If there is a problem of some people not knowing when to go and get out of abusive situations, there is a corresponding problem. Of some people not knowing when to let go. When to say, this is too much for me. God gets the glory. He's in charge. You are going to find yourselves in situations in life when you are a, you're in a situation, a position of power. And what you do in that situation or position of power really shows who you are. Do you abuse that power? Paul and Barnabas could have gotten anything they wanted. Of yeah, we're, we're Zeus and Hermes. Sure. Uh, and now here's what we want. Here's what we expect out of you. Or do you give glory and honor to God? Do you use the audience you've gained or the power you've gained or the position you've gained to serve others? And to fulfill God's kingdom. Which one of those determines what kind of person you are? It shows, it reveals who you are. Now some of you say, well, I'm no abuser. You've been talking about abuse. This goes beyond just physical abuse. This goes to manipulation, to power, to twisting, uh, to controlling others to get your way. Do you recognize that God's on the throne? And whatever position, power, audience, or authority you have is to be used to bless other people and to lift up his name. Or do you take your blessings? Do you take what you've been given and use it selfishly to manipulate and control others to do your bidding? Sometimes we need to go. Sometimes we've fought as much as we need to fight. We've done what we can, and we need to leave a situation. Other times, we need to let go. We need to say, I'm not in control here. God is. I'm going to use the authority and the power and whatever he's blessed me with in my life to serve other people, to bless them in the Lord's name, rather than building myself up. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you. And God, we recognize that, Lord, we're part of the sinful world. And God, even those of us who are believers, we are sinners saved by grace. Yes, we've been given a new name, a new identity. Yes, we are The saints, we are the holy ones of God. That's how he sees us, because he sees us uh, through the lens of his blood, the blood of Jesus. God, thank you for that. You see us that way. But God, we often mess up. We live in a sinful world. God, I pray that if there's anybody here today, Lord, who's in a situation and they need relief. Lord, they need to go. That you give them that courage and that support of those who can help them to find relief. Father, I pray if there's any of us today who have in any way abused power and authority, whether it be a an illegal, a crime, or simply an act of selfishness. Father, we would realize, God, that you're in control. And Lord, that all of us one day will stand before you and we will answer for every word and for every deed. Lord, help us to seek justice and mercy for all those that we come into contact with. Help us to show compassion to those who are in need. God, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.